This is Building Progress, where we discuss trends and real-life events that are impacting construction job sites today. I'm your host, Mike Gerber. Builders Mutual is committed to the safety and overall health of our industry, and we want to tackle an issue that not only impacts the construction community, but is also taking its toll on our entire nation. We're talking about the opioid epidemic. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, also known as the CDC, opioids claim the lives of more than 130 people every day in the United States. A large portion of these deaths is due to the misuse of and addiction to commonly prescribed painkillers. So what are prescription opioids? You may know them as Vicodin, Oxycontin, and Norco, medications many of us have taken to treat injury-related or post-surgical pain. Physical pain from injury or overuse is often the norm in the construction industry, and so are pain meds. We're going to look at the impact of the opioid crisis on construction and discuss what can be done to mitigate the devastation it's leaving behind. Our guests today are Tina Hill, Director of Workers' Compensation Claims at Builders Mutual, and David Jaffe, VP Legal Advocacy with the National Association of Home Builders. David, thank you so much for joining us on this important podcast regarding the opioid crisis. NHB is partnering with organizations like the Job Site Safety Institute and Advocates for Human Potential to address this crisis head-on with an innovative approach to addressing opioid use and misuse. Why did NHB decide to focus on this issue as it relates to our industry? Mike, thanks for having me. As you noted in your opening remarks, this is uh, an issue of great magnitude in this country. Actually, uh, it's the leading public health crisis in the country, and it affects people across all socioeconomic groups, races, genders, and jobs. And unfortunately, people who work in construction are most likely to misuse prescription opioids and they're significantly more likely to become addicted to opioids like prescription painkillers than others in the general population. And in some cases, they're six times more likely to die as a result of overdose. Now, in some respects, that shouldn't come as a surprise. An injury is often the first in a series of events that can lead a person down the path of opioid addiction. And construction, and by extension, the home building industry, has more on-the-job injuries than most other industries. I saw one recent study that was talking about injuries for the average worker, that 3.1 recordable injuries for every 100 workers are in the normal sector. But construction, for example, a framer, uh, there's 7.5 injuries per 100 workers. It seemed to be a staggering difference, and I guess that's simply due to the dangerous nature of the work they actually do. And in the home building industry and construction, generally, you have a culture that often encourages working through the pain so as not to lose time away from work, causing those workers to rely on opioid pain relievers to get back to work quickly after an injury or an accident. This can then lead to a cycle of dependence, misuse, and addiction to those prescription painkillers that you you referenced. But in addition to the health and well-being of the employee, this also impacts business and can do so significantly. Those impacts can be loss of productivity, healthcare expenses, absenteeism, turnover, and and much more. Each construction worker with an untreated substance abuse disorder costs an employer $6,800 per year in excess healthcare expenses, absenteeism, and turnover. But by contrast, when a construction employee is in recovery from substance abuse disorder, that contractor saves nearly $2,400 per year. And the home building industry is not immune from the impacts of the opioid epidemic. 
And that is why we formed our opioid working group at NHB to address these issues. Outstanding. David, you talked about the business impact, and certainly it impacts the construction industry as a whole, but I think there's a personal impact, an emotional personal impact to this. Many of us, if not all of us, know someone who's been impacted by the opioid crisis. David, how has this epidemic hit home for you? Any stories that you have of people you know that have been impacted by this crisis? Let me give you two examples. Uh, One involving an employer and another involving a a family situation. We have a a member who's actually a large commercial builder in Colorado, and he had a policy in his company that if a worker failed uh, drug testing, whether it was for cause or random or after an accident, uh, they were automatically fired. And somebody had asked him, he said, well, what do you do for that employee after being fired they couldn't apply for the job or reapply for 90 days. And so somebody said, well, what do you do for that person while they're out of work? And it occurred to him that they don't do anything. So he started rethinking the policy. And as a result of educating himself on the opioid problem in this country, he added an employee assistance program for any employees and or families needing assistance as a result of a drug abuse. So he changed his policy, and now if a person tests positive for drugs, they have the option of entering the program or not. And if they don't choose to enter the program, their employment is terminated. But if they elect to enter the program, then he will keep them employed and make whatever accommodations are needed to ensure that they're still working, recognizing that for many people, sustaining uh, this job is very important to their self-esteem. So I thought that was a a tremendous insight into the approach to addressing the opioid issue. The other situation involves, uh, we have a member who is an associate, and in 2005, he had to admit that his son, who, as he says, excelled in life, was now a full-blown heroin addict by the end of his freshman year of college. This son, for 10 years, was entered treatment centers you know, 30 days, 60 days, then he'd check himself out. He'd live with family members, lie to his parents, all while continuing to use heroin. And he resulted uh, in actually living on the street. He was homeless. And the member here, the father, was researching alternative treatments because whatever his son was in currently was not working. And he found a program in Canada that had a different approach. It was a long-term approach. And that was successful for his son. Uh, He says it saved his son's life. And his son has now been clean since 2014. The member here, the father, determined that in this country, we needed a better approach to addressing opioid abuse. And he actually developed his own program. It's an extended care drug and alcohol addiction support program. And it offers long-term support and continuing care. So those are two very different examples, but uh, ones that kind of address the, the spectrum of how this issue can affect our members. Terrific stories. Thank you, David. Tina, from a claims perspective, are there any incidents that you've experienced that have impacted you or made you more aware of this issue? Sure. And, and claims, we deal with it, unfortunately, quite a bit. Um, but the story that I want to tell is, is personal in, in nature. It's the first real exposure that I had and thought about the connection with the job that I do and with what happened personally. But my sister 
died 14 years ago from an overdose of opioids. She started out just like every claim that lands on my desk on a daily basis in that she um, had a back injury, went for treatment, and it, you know, it didn't get any better. She tried other therapies, but they kept her on narcotics the whole entire time. And this went on for a year and a half to two years. And unbeknownst to my family, she had formed an addiction to the pain meds and was actually seeking them from multiple physicians and was taking them um, when they said that take it every six hours, she was taking it every four hours. You know, she was doubling up and it eventually took a toll on her body and her heart and, um, and she passed away from that. She left two kids, a husband, you know, tons of friends, tons of, you know, two brothers and a sister and her mom and dad. And I look at that compared to what I do every day and how can we save lives so that doesn't happen to the injured workers mm-hmm. that we deal with every day. You know, that's certainly a tragic story, and maybe another tragic corollary is 14 years ago, we probably didn't talk about that openly. And it seems to be we may be cracking that open today in that bringing this out in the open. Do you think that type of discussion to that addiction, if it had been brought out in open, could have changed the, the path that she went down? Oh, absolutely. I think that even, you know, with my career path and that I saw that the opioid prescription, the prescribing of, I started seeing it financially in the claims, but didn't really correlate that to what that was going to do that individual or their family um, or their life even. Thank you so much. Now, David, please share with our listeners what NHB and other organizations are doing across the spectrum of prevention, treatment, recovery, and return to work. Sure. So we call our initiative Opioids in the Home Building Industry, Making It Your Business. And we wanted to emphasize that this is not just a societal issue, that it impacts business. And last June, we undertook a national rollout of our resources for home builders to address the opioid crisis. These are resources that have been the culmination of about a year and a long, year and a half long effort. As you noted, we teamed up with the folks at Advocates for Human Potential who are substance abuse and addiction experts to help us customize the resources for the home building industry. And to help us develop those resources, we received a generous grant from the Job Site Safety Institute, a nonprofit dedicated to helping reduce job site accidents. From the outset, we had three goals. The first was to raise awareness within the industry. And that kind of goes to the idea that this was referred to as a silent epidemic for, for a long time. People didn't want to talk about it. So we thought it was so important to raise awareness Our second goal was to educate and inform builders, employees, subcontractors, and their families. And Mike, as you know, in our industry, many times the work is being done by trade contractors who are not employees of the builder, and they may not even be members of the association, but we thought it was so important to address this issue from a broader perspective. And so we are reaching out to the trades and family members as well. And the third goal was to help these folks take action. And so to do that, we developed what we thought was an innovative and holistic approach to addressing the opioid issue and misuse. And as you noted, that there are several intervention points across the spectrum, prevention, treatment, recovery, and return to work. So we have developed supervisor training toolkits for each of those intervention points. So for example, in our prevention toolkit, we note that prevention of opioid misuse often starts before anyone actually sets foot on the work site and that there are many touch points where you can help prevent opioid misuse and addiction among the workers and subs. 
the toolkit offers employers strategies such as prioritizing worksite safety to reduce injuries and accidents in the first place, providing employee education on prescription opioids, and importantly, alternatives for pain relief to reduce misuse of prescribed medications, working with workers' compensation carriers to support injured workers through policies and programs such as light duty return to work after an injury or through a flexible paid time off plan, and then lastly, setting up a worksite overdose response program that can save a life in the case of accidental overdose. We offer a case study in each of our toolkits. We call him Mike the Roofer. And this is a hypothetical illustration of a worker who has an injury, is prescribed medication, and then progresses to opioid misuse. And it presents an example of how opioid dependency typically progresses and where a supervisor or contractor might be able to step in to prevent opioid addiction. We make this information available through a number of different resources. We know that people learn differently and uh, like to have information in different forms. So we have handouts, we have fact sheets, we have podcasts, webinars, these toolkits. We've developed a state resource guide to help individuals quickly locate information within their state. And importantly, these materials are available not only to NHB members, but non-members alike at no cost to, again, help increase the reach of these valuable resources. It's fair to say that it's not only for employers, but for employees as well, right, David? That's correct. Employees, for instance, information on seeking alternatives to opioids, that's information for employees, things of that nature, yep. All right, Tina, how is Builders Mutual addressing this issue with customers and claimants? You know, what can an insurance carrier, for example, do to help manage the use of opioids? You know, awareness is the key. You know, doing podcasts like this today is making the employers, other people aware that there is a crisis out there and it continues. You know, talk about it every chance you get. Uh, make them aware of signs to look for. You know, we actually just did a blog recently for confronting the opioid crisis again, just to bring awareness to the situation. As a carrier, we partner with various services to help manage the use of opioid medications, including those that can evaluate for inappropriate use and overuse. Our pharmacy benefit management program, also known as the PBM, monitors medication distribution to ensure multiple physicians aren't prescribing the same medications or potentially harmful combinations of medications. And that's really important when you have an injured worker that has injured multiple body parts. It's their head, their ankle, their back, and they're seeing three different physicians. You want to make sure that those physicians aren't all prescribing the same medication or what they are prescribing in combination with each other aren't going to be harmful to that individual. Tina, is that something that you have always been doing, or is this just in response to the crisis as it is today? So we started um, with the PBM at least 10 years ago. They created, the company started creating because of um, this crisis that's going on to help manage that and help carriers get a better handle on reporting and what type prescriptions. The great thing about PBMs is they also look at the type of injury that the injured worker has had to identify if the medication is appropriate for that injury and for the length of time that they've been on it, is that appropriate? And just kind of shoot red flags out to the carriers to let them know. And with that information, we use it to work with the providers themselves to try to get a different treatment plan or maybe alternatives for, you know, like non-narcotic medications to use. Our adjusters monitor the provider 
compliance through these type programs and in states where that allows us to direct the treatment, we'll direct treatment to another physician if we find that they're overprescribing and that we can't get them to even look at non-narcotic medications. Tina, I think we all agree that the construction business is a dangerous one and obviously we can't prevent all injuries. But when someone does get injured, how can an employer support them as they return to work from that injury? I think employers need to have great communication with their employees in a non-threatening manner. It makes the claim, no matter what kind of claim it is, go much, so much better. You know, it shows that they care and then the employee wants to go back to work you know, because they know that they care. Also, the employers communicate with the carriers. Let them know if there's any concerns going on, you know, what type jobs they might have available. You know, as David had brought up before, the the return to work programs are great. And if you think about that before an accident ever happens, you've already got that in place. But, you know, most of these injuries, you know, especially if they're going to be out long term, if there's even as part-time work sitting at a desk, Um, that they can go back to. It keeps them from sitting at home, getting depressed, getting used to not working, you know, getting away from, you know, just the public and their their co-workers. If you can help, just talk to the carriers about it, talk to your adjuster of the claim about it, talk to your employees about it, and what's needed um, for them to get back to work sooner and safer. You know, the one thing that you do have to keep in mind still is, the type of work that they're doing, they may still be on narcotics. So if it's a safety issue like driving, working machinery, you've got to think that through and make sure it's addressed that they're not on the job still using those narcotic medications that could be harmful to themselves and to the other co-workers or to the public. Do you think it's fairly common that injured workers get back on the job site in something other than light duty and that unfortunately having to treat the pain with an opioid? Oh, absolutely. We see it a lot. We, you know, we have a lot of um, injured workers that are sometimes afraid about losing their job because it's been a great job. They've had it for a while, and they know they're going to be replaced if they stay out too long. And so they're, they're scared about that. And if the employers aren't helping facilitate saying, it's okay, we'll, you know, we'll pick you up the next job, whatever, they're scared. So they're going to go back quicker, and they're probably going to be on a lot of pain medication when they go back um, with the risk of hurting themselves and others. Right. By the very nature of the business, it's cyclical it's hourly, uh, the pressure to get back to the job. If they don't get back to the job, they don't get paid. That's very real, isn't it? That is, absolutely. All right, David, how about some positive news? Is there a silver lining to this story? Well, Mike, I think that we've kind of alluded to, I think the positive news is that there does seem to be more of a public recognition of the problem, a willingness to discuss the issue and a trend toward a more enlightened approach to the problem, shifting the focus from stigma to an emphasis on support and care. In our research, and we're finding that there's more of an effort to talk about this in, in a variety of different places, newspaper stories, front page stories about the trades and, and unions and construction sites having stand downs where they prominent officials come in and, and talk about the opioid problem and address the stigma issue. Uh, we've seen a lot of that. So just in this short time, so I think that's all good news. All right. Finally, a question for both of you. What's the top message you'd like employers to know regarding the crisis in our industry? And David, we'll start with you. So first, I think the message is that there is a quantifiable problem within the industry that studies do show that people who work in construction are significantly more likely to become addicted to opioids. And second, that there are concrete steps that they can take to help address the problem. 
Uh, there are steps that supervisors and business owners can take to help prevent misuse of opioids in the first instance. There are strategies for identifying problems with opioids and helping employees and others identify and connect with quality treatment providers. And then finally, there are many things that supervisors and business owners can do to help people recover from opioid misuse and get back to work. But before we can do that, there has to be a recognition that indeed there is a real problem in the industry. Okay, Tina, how about you? I would say that this can affect anyone, from the lowest paid employee to the CEO of a company to their family members. Um, I read that 29% of patients prescribed opioids for chronic pain ultimately misuse them. And that doesn't mean that they're just overdosing on it. It means that you know they're crushing the tablets and use them in a way that's not meant to be used. They're selling them. Um, you know, they're selling them to children. You know, so that becomes an issue. The great thing that David has, has pointed up already is educating the management and the employees of the companies of warning signs of an employee that may be in crisis and to talk about it, to bring it up, to let someone know. Um, So maybe it it can be addressed and that person can be helped. Tina and David, thank you so much for this valuable information and for all of your efforts on this front. If someone is listening and struggling or you know someone struggling with uh, opioid addiction, who can they contact right now for help? David? Well, they can certainly visit our website at nhb.org opioids. As I noted, we have in each state identified places within that state where somebody can reach out and get the help that they need. Uh, We also have additional resources on the site. That certainly is an immediate place to to get some assistance. Tina? There's a national helpline. It's under um, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Their number is 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Four three five seven. All right. Well, thank you again, both of you, for shedding the light on this really critical issue. I think the information you brought forward will really help our listeners understand how critical it is to employers and to their employees. So we appreciate you being here. Mike, thank you for helping us get the word out. Thank you. Building Progress is a podcast from Builders Mutual. We're dedicated to protecting the construction industry through a wide range of commercial insurance products. At Builders Mutual, we have a passion for education, safety, and progress, and we're excited to share our expertise with our listeners. For more information, visit buildersmutual.com.